The Ambitious Mum Podcast. Different women, different lives, different ambitions. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and every week I'll be having honest conversations about ambition. All of a sudden it was like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I want anymore. And I became fascinated with this problem. Motherhood. A lot of women will say, well, why aren't your kids enough? And it's like, that's the wrong question to ask, I think. And everything in between. We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent. And I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices, and the sheer grit and perseverance working mums don't talk about. Now I just realize it's normal for me and my brain to continuously evolve. Just before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to let you know about my free workshop, Freedom from Frustration, where I'll be teaching you a selection of my own tried and trusted techniques to help you feel calmer, more balanced and present in day-to-day life. As I'm sure you can agree, this year has been so overwhelming to say the least. And if the after effects are still with you, I'd love to be able to help. Perhaps this has been an issue for you for much longer and you're finally ready to address this for yourself or for your loved ones. And if you feel that your emotional reactivity and regulation is all over the place or you often feel emotionally out of control, and trust me, I know that feeling, I'll be guiding you through some small steps and micro tools that really do help me most days. So this workshop is on Tuesday the 13th of April at 7.30pm and that's UK time. And as mentioned, it will be free. So do take this opportunity while it's there. All the details are on my website, which is coachingbykate.me.uk or just head to my social media channels for more info and you can find me on Coaching by Kate on Instagram and on Facebook. And I would love to see you there. So just head over to those channels and all the details are there. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so thank you for coming back to The Ambitious Mum. I hope you listened to the first episode, which was my solo episode. I wanted to give you a quick intro about my guest that is coming up. And she is someone that is really inspiring to me. Her name is Diane Wingert, and she is based in America. She is a former psychotherapist, psychologist, and she also has ADHD. She was one of the first people that I listened to one of the podcasts while I was getting my head around my diagnosis. She got the most amazing podcast called The Driven Women Podcast, and I was actually a guest on there a few months ago. And we really connected and she is a bit older than me, but I, for whatever reason, I love talking to older, wiser women. I really feel very comfortable talking to women who are a generation older than me because I believe that they have so much to teach. And Diane is one of those people that has so much to teach me and so much to give to others. She is an ADHD coach now and she works with a lot of women who I would call ambitious, creative, very talented women who are all out there doing incredible things that have probably been diagnosed later on in life like I have. I know she was. I think she was sort of in her 50s when she was diagnosed. And that's what makes it even more special because I think what we all have in common when we are diagnosed later on in life is a lot of whys, a lot of what ifs a little bit of grief, a bit of regret, lots of harking back and looking through the different chapters of our lives and wondering what could have changed, what could have been different. And Diane addresses that beautifully in her coaching, but also in her podcast. And I know she gave me personal advice as well with regards to this, because I definitely did look back and think, I could have done better at university. I could have done a different degree, maybe, if I'd had the support. Maybe I could have tried medication. If I'd known my lifestyle, if I'd known what I was eating that was wrong, if I'd known that I should be exercising more and breathing more, and I had lots of different things going on for me, mentally and emotionally, that maybe if I'd known, things could have been different. But a huge part of my teachings and what I really kind of like to talk about with my clients is that uh, the past is most definitely in the past. We can learn from it and we can, you know, use these as times to heal. We can look at our past and notice what we haven't healed and use these triggers. 
but we mustn't focus on the past and the regret because that holds us back, it keeps us as victims and victimhood mentality is really detrimental to being present and being able to feel empowered in what we have going on in our lives right now and what we could have in the future. So I know that Diane works along these similar sort of mindsets with her clients that she wants to, I guess, acknowledge what's happened 100% that validates what we've gone through. Acknowledge what we feel, maybe the stumbling blocks that we have, but also she's amazing at teasing out what we have going on for us in a positive way, all the attributes that we have um, as creative and uh, imaginative women who are wanting to do exciting, innovative things in in business, in our careers. Um, we want to create, we want to connect, we, we really want to be around like-minded people. And I believe that with the Ambitious Mum podcast, I do that with my guests. I really kind of speak to my guests and make sure that they they are right for the podcast. And I take a lot of time to ensure that I will want to speak to them on a personal level, that they are this type of person that I'd want to have a coffee or a drink with. So Diane is one of those people that I most definitely would want to have a long meal with. And one day I hope to, in real life, maybe she'll come to the UK, I'll come to America. But her story is fascinating. And I really hope that it helps you and inspires you, whether you have ADHD or not. This podcast is not going to be exclusively now about ADHD, but this is going to be inclusive. Whether you are one of those people that hasn't been diagnosed, but you may have traits that you can feel that you definitely relate to, or you know someone in your life with ADHD, or maybe this kind of empowers you to go and maybe dive a bit deeper and really look into what kind of things have been going on in your life. And maybe this is an answer. So I hope that my conversation with Diane helps with that. And as always, I would love to hear from you. So just head over to my website, coachingbykate.me.uk, find me on social media. And here is my conversation with Diane Wingert. Diane, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that we've been able to connect. And like you, my motivation for starting my podcast was, I know there's a lot of women like me out there. I want a really good excuse to meet them, connect with them, share their stories, and enlarge my circle of bold and brilliant females. Amazing. So what I love is how you've described what you do. So, okay, we hear about a lot of mindset coaches. Then you go into the productivity. And this is an umbrella term for lots of different things. But the key for me is the for driven women who are falling short of their potential. And oh my goodness, the amount of people that I speak to who have got something within them and they lack direction, clarity. And I know that this was me about four years ago. And I spoke to my coach, who is still one of my mentors, and we speak quite a lot. I just said to her, I've got no clarity. I know I have Mm. something within me. I know I want to be fulfilled, but I genuinely don't know where to go. And she teased that out of me and teased that out of me. So tell me who you work with and how you work. And to be honest, how you've got to the point you are now. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for asking. Well, I, I am in my fourth career and in my sixth decade of life. And I used to feel really badly about the fact that I just needed to reinvent myself about every 10 years. And I thought, why can't you just pick and stick? You know, that was that was what my parents' generation and maybe your parents' generation taught. You need to find somebody suitable, settle down, get married, have a family, and find a stable job with benefits that you can stick with until you retire. Well, first of all, that notion is now completely and hopelessly and forever outdated and gone. I think this global pandemic has taught us that those that will survive in the business world in the future are going to be the ones who can stop, drop, and roll when conditions change and we need to adapt, which is why there's been such a rise in female entrepreneurship. But for my personal story, I had my first career was in medical sales. Um, I did a few other things. Then I became a clinical social worker. Then eventually I was a psychotherapist in private practice. And Kate, while I was a therapist, 
um, because in private practice, you tend to attract clientele that have resources to pay out of pocket. So they're not generally paying with insurance and it's a little bit more of a niche clientele. And I just started specializing in working with women. And I started especially working with women in the middle years of life. And what I saw over and over and over, and I'm thinking 40s and 50s, is how many of them were smart, educated, ambitious, talented. They had big goals, big dreams, big plans, but they were just stuck and not going forward. And they had no idea why. That was one group. The other group was equally bold, brilliant, talented, but they didn't have those dreams. They didn't have those goals. They didn't have those plans. As a matter of fact, especially the ones that were starting to have kids that were getting ready to leave home and move on, you know, sort of the empty nest was approaching. A lot of those women really felt scared because after so many years of taking care of everyone else, and I'm not talking just stay-at-home moms, I'm talking career women like me. I always worked. Um, All of a sudden, it was like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I want anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. And I became fascinated with this problem because like, there's millions of women experiencing this. Some of them experience it in their 30s, some not until their 60s. But what I saw again and again and again in my psychotherapy practice was these women don't have a mental illness. They do not have serious impairment. But what they all had was a gap between where they were and where they wanted to be. And that gap was causing them pain. And so that kind of became sort of my obsession and eventually led to my own ADHD diagnosis, which we can get into more if you want. But that also turned out to be the case with many of my clients, not all, but many. Wow. That's really, really powerful because I know you say that, you know, these um, women are in their, you know, 50s or 60s, but I see women who are 30s and 40s feeling like this. And they've given up successful careers to look after their children and perhaps just gone mm-hmm. to work, that's work part-time. And the frustration and the resentment that's been building up and building up and as their kids are getting older, it's getting a louder voice. So it sort of starts as a, as a bit of a whisper while your kids are little and you kind of mm-hmm. think, well, this is easier this way. I'm going to just settle because my kids are little and they need me at home. But as the kids are getting older and they're less dependent on, you know, parents, they kind of slam doors in your face and, and yes. need you apart from food and money. It gets more profound, that voice. Mm. And if you're an intelligent woman, whether you've been to university or not, every woman has passion and drive and desires. And just because they've had children, that shouldn't be knocked out of them. So I can understand why you were seeing a lot of women maybe later on in their lives with a lot of frustration. And it makes me laugh because what you said before about having lots of different careers, I too have had, I'm in my third career. Mm-hmm. Friends laugh at me and I'm always the one over dinner, you know, when we were allowed to socialize, that would come up with a new business idea. I'd come up with a new idea for a friend saying, I really think you should have this career. And they were like, well, I'm kind of happy where I am. I'm like, no, but I can really see you doing this. Absolutely. I have the same affliction. In fact, I have named other people's businesses, put other people in business. And when I would meet someone and I would discover, oh, they have this unique talent, I say, you know what, you should create an online course. And I would literally map the whole thing out for them. And they'd look at me and go, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So you, you realize not all women are as ambitious as we are, but many are. And I'll tell you, you and I are different generations, different continents, but the mommy wars have been going on for decades. I mean, when I was having my kids in the 80s, there was a big divide then here in the States, women who chose to stay at home and women who chose to work or needed to work. There was all kinds of resentment and aggravation between those two groups. And there still is. A lot of women will say, well, why aren't your kids enough? And it's like, that's 
the wrong question to ask, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's still there. It's still all that. I hate it's so sad. But I think meeting other women like yourself who are saying, you know what? I love my kids. I had a lot of them. Obviously, I love kids, but I don't love only kids. I also love carving out my little place in the world and making it into a business that serves others. And I don't see a contradiction. There's no contradiction, but what I have also seen, you know, with myself and friends and contemporaries is that we all have like mini chapters. So I stayed at home and didn't work for about two years. And mm-hmm. that was it. I'd had four children and I was just overwhelmed. I thought, right, I can't put anything else on me. Even though I was busy setting up all sorts of businesses in my head and <laughs> products that I would go down I had a six-month-old baby and invented a products and just, you know these ridiculous things but I think we just have to be kind to ourselves as well and accept that it's okay to have a few years out it's okay to really just focus on our kids doesn't mean to say that we can't start something new again and later that, yes exactly but I think what you said before was right that we kind of think well we've we're in this career and that's what our parents did. So that's what we need to do. And if that career doesn't work, then that's it. I'm finished. I'm done. And I love how, you know, you're an inspiration. You say you're going into your sixth decade. You look incredible. What an inspiring thing to know that you can just keep evolving and keep going and the chapters don't need to end. I have to, Kate. I And thank you for the compliment. I really, I used to fight it. I used to think, why can't you just stick with something? But eventually when I learned I had ADHD and I really started studying it and I really started learning that high functioning, and I don't like that term, high ability women with ADHD have incredible strengths and some persistent struggles. It doesn't define me. It certainly hasn't ruined my life. I don't think of myself as someone who quote unquote, struggles with ADHD. It has definitely affected the way I thought about myself and what I thought I was capable of, which I think is for me, the most significant impairment is the mindset. But now I just realize it's normal for me and my brain to continuously evolve. It is normal for me to get excited about something, fall in love with it, dive in headfirst, become totally obsessed with it for a period of weeks, months, or in my case, usually years, and then slowly start to become disenchanted with it just in time to fall deeply, profoundly in love with something else, whether it be a new hobby, a new friendship, a new career path, a new business. I now realize some of us are just meant to have that path. We share those traits with entrepreneurs, visionaries, inventors, disruptors. In fact, the people who have changed society for the better and always will are like us. They're not like the people who stay with the company for 40 years and collect the gold watch. Society needs both types, but I am tired of feeling ashamed or being shamed because I don't stay put. It's not my nature. And I suspect it's not yours either. No, I want to talk about this with you because I think it's a really important conversation. And the way you describe yourself, especially with the ADHD and the strengths it's brought to you, and obviously the impairment, I can really relate because it's very profound. It's it's prominent in my family, ADHD, and it's Mm. been there for a very long time. Ever since I was a small child, ADHD has been in my family with my siblings. And looking back at my family tree and family line, it's gone through the generations. And to be honest, this is, you know, coming out here on the podcast, I've been diagnosed as well. So it's been a long, long journey of thinking there was something wrong with me, thinking there Mm -hmm. was my personality or my character traits or all the things that you just mentioned then of of getting super excited about something, obsessing about it, and then actually a year or so later going, no, no, I'm not interested anymore. And I used to call Mm -hmm. myself flaky. Yes. Why am I so flaky? Why can't I just stick at something? And now, because I've had this diagnosis, it's helped me immensely to join the dots of my life. 
yes recognize where i've struggled and to recognize where that self-doubt has come in where i've constantly suffered from imposter syndrome where i have been beating myself up time and time again why i can't remember certain details mm. why i obsess over things i mean it's the impulsivity i, I, I listen this could be a pul- you're preaching to the choir <laughs> I'm like, check, 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 check. Completely. But what the diagnosis has brought, and it's it's really not brought me that much because I've known it all myself, but it's the peace of mind. Yes. That there actually isn't anything wrong with me. It's just the way my brain works. And now yes. I've got this, I just keep saying diagnosis with, my, you know, inverted commas, but it's definitely helped me understand myself a lot more and understand the women that I want to help a lot more because I used yes. to this niche that I wanted to work in, it was overwhelmed mums, busy mums, mm-hmm. people with busy brains. And I was just like, well, I can't really, how do I connect with these people? What, what is it? And I couldn't put the finger on what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't put the finger on how I wanted to help other women. And now I'm able to kind of take a step back. I can see the, the bigger picture. I can reflect. And now it's kind of opened my eyes to, how I would love to help more women with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And how I can harness my strengths and how I can look after myself when those weaker moments come in and be a lot more aware. So for me, it's been a blessing. It's been a long, rocky journey. My poor husband, who's lived for hours <laughs> hours of self-obsessed dialogue <laughs> of, what's wrong with me? Why is everyone so much better? Why is everyone so much more knowledgeable, honestly? But he understands me and when I told him he was like ah now it all makes sense and listeners it's a very genetic disorder absolutely so we're also on a path as a family with this but for our children and seeing you and talking to you and listening to your podcast for me is very inspiring because I can now articulate what's going on and you really help with that and I know you're helping a lot of women Tell me how you felt when you were diagnosed. Well, I'm a big old fraud because my oldest son was diagnosed with ADHD when he was eight years old. And I knew even though I was a first time mom in my 20s, by the time he was two, I knew he was different. I didn't have anything to compare him to. He was my first. But I just knew that his behaviors were not the behaviors I would see in other kids on the playground, in the park, at the pediatrician's office, in the supermarket. They seemed very extreme. And so by the time he was eight and diagnosed with ADHD, and that was in the 90s when Time Magazine had ADHD on the cover. It was in its heyday. I had to learn so much to help my son, to support my son, and frankly, to advocate for my son because he got kicked out of more than one preschool. Um, We actually even had to move from one neighborhood to another because he was kicked out of a church run preschool. I thought that was a little ironic, but at any rate, because of all the learning I needed to do to advocate for my son, I thought I'd like to help other people. I'd like to help other families like ours. So I announced to my then husband, I'm leaving my lucrative career in medical sales to go back to graduate school at UCLA to become a low paid social worker. He was like, wait, what? (laughs) But here I was in graduate school and in the early 90s, and I accepted an assignment to do a social skills group with school age boys with ADHD, because at that time, the only humans being identified with ADHD were school-age boys. I was taught by my professors, this is an affliction that affects a certain percentage of little boys. They need this, this, and this. They need medication. They need behavior management. They need a lot of structure and so forth. And they'll outgrow it by the time they're teenagers. But if we don't manage them properly, they won't be able to complete school. So this is a real problem. We need to take it seriously. And this is what we need to do. So I said, okay, I'm on it. But as I continue to work with the boys, I started thinking, you know, I think I would get a lot more bang for my buck if I also met with their parents. And I explained to them how they could do these same things at home. And, you know, I always had 
ambitions for everything. And why work with kids once a week, you can meet with their parents and then you could double the effect. So they said, sure, knock yourself out, you know, grad students are so enthusiastic. But when I started meeting with these parents, I thought, I don't think people outgrow this. Like, I'm pretty sure these parents are exactly the same as these kids. So I would go back to one professor and then another, and they'd say, no, no, no. We definitely know that people outgrow it by adulthood. And I said, with all due respect, I think you're wrong. And I want to do my master's thesis on ADHD in adulthood. And they said, okay, sure. So I did the research. I interviewed lots of people. I discovered that there were some people whose lives were just a mess and other people who thrived. So I established two things. One, it's not the diagnosis that makes a difference in what kind of life you have. It's other things. And two, you definitely don't outgrow this. Well, I finished grad school. I get a job. And in true ADHD fashion, I forget all about ADHD. And I move on. And for 25 years in my career, I worked with all kinds of different groups of people. Some, some of them have ADHD, but it was never my thing. Until as the years went by, my third child and only daughter was diagnosed with ADHD as a young woman in college. And then my middle son, who's never been officially diagnosed, has all the traits of inattentive type. And I thought, well, hold on a minute. I have had two marriages that produce children. I'm the only common denominator these three kids have in common. If they all have ADHD, can you spell common denominator? I was expert at identifying ADHD in adult women who had been misdiagnosed with other things, but yet I didn't turn the finger back on myself for probably all the same reasons you didn't think you had it. I do well in school. I am successful. I have friends. I've never been fired from a job. I've had some speeding tickets, but not in excess. I've never been in jail. I don't have a drug problem. I mean, all the horror stories that we have been told about untreated ADHD, none of that applied to me. So I thought, nah, I don't think so. I'm just forgetful. I just take too much on my plate and then I make mistakes. I work well under pressure, so I like waiting to the last minute. And I thought I just had a flaky character. I could commit, but I couldn't stick with things. And I just felt bad about all those things. So my goal in life was just to hide, pretend, cover up, apologize, explain, rationalize, excuse, occasionally lie. And I was very proud of the fact that I was, quote, passing for normal until I realized all the effort that I was expending pushing down my own ADHD symptoms, I was also suppressing my gifts at the same time. And I just decided I have to deal with this. The other reason why I knew I had to deal with it and come to terms with it and find out for sure, do you or don't you, was by the time I had transitioned into self-employment and I was now without all of the things that actually helped me perform well, routine, structure, accountability, to name the, the prominent ones. When you work for yourself, especially work from home, I don't have to tell you, there is no structure other than the one you provide. There is no accountability other than the one that you seek out and find for yourself. And if you don't have really dialed in systems and routines, you're going to be all over the place and probably not make a dollar. So it was then that I was like, okay, I have to find out, is this just a bad character or is there something actually going on in my brain that is made me work very hard, but always know I'm falling short of my true potential. And I went to see a child psychiatrist and she said, your textbook, highly intelligent. You've created a lot of workarounds, but there's no question in my mind you have ADHD and always have. And I had a very strange feeling at that time, Kate, because most people say, like you, when they find out, 
there's a sense of relief or peace of mind. For me, it was bittersweet because I knew 20 years earlier and I could have done something about it then, but I was so good at passing for normal that I just continued to do that, not realizing that I was continuing to make my life harder than it needed to be and that nobody really knew me, not really knew me. Because whenever I would let my ADHD freak flag fly and I would get like looks or negative feedback or eye rolls or I would feel like, oh, yep, got to squash that down again. And now I'm just letting more of my quirky, goofy, sarcastic, and at times wildly inappropriate self out. And I'm actually finding better friendships with people who actually know the real me. Wow. So much there. I I should have been writing notes then, but I was too busy listening to you. Just nodding away furiously because (laughs) so much of it I can really, really resonate with. I found that I saw ADHD in boys and and that was the only way I knew ADHD because my two brothers had it and I know they were Mm -hmm. about that. So the only way ADHD looked to me was what my, how my brothers were and how it affected them throughout their life and how it affected yep. my parents' marriage. They got divorced, mm. which is pretty standard. And my brothers, it was back in the 80s as well, you know, early 80s. And it was very much, you know, stop the sugar, the hyperactive, never looked at the genetic composition of, of families or anything like that. But the way it shows up in girls is so different. And the only reason I knew I had ADHD was because I was looking into it for girls. And Mm. I started recognizing all the signs of me as like little Kate at school. And the little Kate at school was super quiet. Wouldn't say boot or goose. I furiously blushed. So if I had to speak out in public, my face would go bright red. Mm. So I learned very quickly to keep my mouth shut. Then I coasted through school. We ended up moving countries, moving cities. We moved cities, then we moved countries. So my mm. whole education was completely disjointed. I didn't stay to school longer than two or three years until I was 16. Wow. And making friends, I was, it was so, again, it's transitory. It was, I couldn't make friends for long enough to recognize any signs, but I always knew there was something deep within me that wasn't quite working. Well, I, I just couldn't understand. I did okay at school, not brilliantly. I went to university, did my first year of a course, messed around, procrastinated, didn't hand things in, realised that course mm-hmm. was me, started a new course, scraped through, got the grade that I shouldn't have got because I knew I had a lot more to give, but I just managed to scrape through and got the grade. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going into PR, consumer PR, mm. uh, it literally ignited my soul and my creativity and I'd sit around brainstorming loads of ideas. And that's when I realized I had a very creative brain. Yes. Start speaking because these ideas were too good not to, you know, to speak out. So we worked on big brands and I came up with loads of fantastic photo shoot ideas or um, stunts, things like that, that I really could think out the box. Yes. I really had to push myself to be able to have to speak my truth and to talk about the ideas that I had but I knew they were so good that I could not but what held me back in that industry was it was very high pressure I felt I got very overwhelmed so if I made a mistake bearing in mind it was PR Mm. result you know it it, it was a big impact you know if something was written wrong in a press release or an article that would be in the news it would be in in the newspaper so Zero tolerance for screw up. I could not screw up. I couldn't make mm. mistakes. And sometimes that happened and it affected me very, very badly. And it really knocked my confidence. Well, you probably had a lot of anxiety during that time, yeah. which absolutely impairs that brilliant, creative idea machine you call the brain. Yeah. So every time I would have to hand a document into a client or write a press release and send it to the journalist, I'd read and read and read and read over and over again. Mm. It was exhausting. I used to come home yeah. from work drained on another level. 
they were all out, you know, this was, you know, early 20s. My colleagues were all out drinking, partying, you know, staying up till three in the morning, rolling in at, you know, eight o'clock. Not at all. I'd be like, how do you do that? I'd have to go home and have a hot bath and completely mm-hmm. compress. And so I, I missed this whole kind of like partying kind of PR industry thing because it just, I couldn't do both. I couldn't use this kind of flair. Yes. And... You probably spared yourself the opportunity to become an alcoholic. Probably. Um, a lot of people in the advertising and PR industry have serious problems with drinking. Yeah. And I couldn't I, I couldn't go there. And I, I was like an old woman before my time where I hmm. was prioritizing my well-being. I started recognizing that I needed to walk at lunchtime. And bearing in mind, I was a young, I was like 20, 21. Hmm. I started recognizing that I, if I didn't look after myself, the anxiety will completely take over. It got to the point where I handed my notice in and I left there. And my boss at the time, it was like one of the best agencies to work for. And she told me you're making a huge mistake. You know, you've got so much potential. And I chose to work for a very small, very, not very exciting charity, doing fantastic work. Hmm. If I go there, then the pressure's less. I won't be as overwhelmed. I got there and I was so unfulfilled. I felt like like I couldn't use all this creativity that I wanted, but I knew that I could walk out the office at five o'clock every day. What a horrible dilemma and a choice to have to make. I don't think I can tolerate the pressure of the career path that unleashes my ADHD brilliance because of the zero tolerance policy. Like, what if they would have assigned a an editor or just even some admin to review everybody's press releases for errors? Because as you, I'm sure, learned, rereading your own stuff and looking for the mistakes you didn't find the first time, you're not going to find them at two in the morning on the 50th time either. Like how sad that you had to make the choice to leave a career that was actually well-suited to you because you didn't believe that you could keep up and not screw up only to go into something that felt safe, but didn't occupy nearly enough of your mental bandwidth. Yeah. Many of us go there. And it's only, you know, the joys of getting older and looking back and reflecting that I can now see why I was protecting myself. And yes, I knew that I had to do that because I didn't want to go down an anxiety rabbit hole and not be able to get out of that because I'd seen that happen in my family and I'd seen that happen with other people. Mm. So what then happened, I got married young. I got married at 23. I got married way mm. before any of my friends. I found this incredible man who I'm still married to now, patient, kind, generous, lovely man. And he held me in a proverbial sense that he just knew things that I couldn't do and he just took them away from me. <gasps> like the perfect personal assistant. Yes. How wonderful. He filled in all those forms that I didn't want to do. Oh, that's perfect. Financial side that I did I couldn't do. And then I got pregnant. I got pregnant at 25. So again, my friends weren't even married. They were doing mm. traveling. And then I felt like I'd found myself because... I wasn't working within anyone else's routine. I didn't have to conform to anyone else. I could be a mum the way that I was mm-hmm. a mum. And no one was going to tell me how to do that. And I felt like myself, even though it's exhausting, draining, all those things. Mm-hmm. But you didn't have a boss anymore. You could do it your way. Exactly. And I did it very intuitively. I bought mm-hmm. books, read them kind of didn't really take it in and just thought, well, I'm just going to wing it. I'm just going to do what I, I do. And I did it. And yeah, I mean, you know, we didn't sleep. We got all sorts of help in. But I think being a mum for me at that time was the way my ADHD, it was okay because no one was telling me what to do. And I didn't feel like I had to conform and I didn't, I wasn't under pressure from anyone else because mm. I just did it. So that you did a couple of things really, really well without even realizing what kind of brain you have, like choosing a spouse that sees you, gets you, accepts you, and is willing to 
take care of the things that you just don't do well instead of judging you for not being able to do them. I mean, that's probably one of the main reasons why you haven't struggled as much as many, but then you just knew to put yourself in a set of circumstances where you didn't have a boss, you could trust yourself. And I think, you know, when we're not indulging in the perfectionism that plagues so many women with ADHD, many of us really enjoy being moms because we can be playful and silly and spontaneous and impulsive right along with our kids. I mean, obviously somebody has to be in charge, but I loved having young kids because it was very easy for me to go to their level and I think and and very and very freeing too because of our creative brains and many of us are have a really good sense of humor and like being silly and laughing and creating fun like I wouldn't just read my kids a bedtime story I would just spontaneously create a different voice for each character made up songs for everything from potty training to cleaning their room because Nobody told me to do that. It's just what felt right. And I think moms with ADHD, when they're not feeling inadequate, because maybe they're not so good at the cleaning or the organizing, you can be a wonderful companion for your child who can be an adult who actually acts like a kid sometimes. Totally. I mean, I'm the queen of silly voices and silly songs. And <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times, and, I, and one of the things actually I've totally forgotten is that I decided that I was going to write a children's book. That was one of the mm. things I went down that whole route. And yeah, if I could write a whole book on the things that I wanted to set up, nearly set up, but didn't quite set up, that would keep everyone entertained. And I, you're so right. I used to beat myself up about, and this is crazy. So back in the day when CVs were a big deal, and I guess, you know, they still are in certain industries, I would used to say, well, I'm not a perfectionist. And I know this new generation is is Mm -hmm. perfectionism is bad. And obviously, you know, it's true. But I used to think that being a perfectionist was good. And I felt like I had to kind of say, I'm not so great with detail. And things do go amiss sometimes. and, And I don't beat myself up. If I, you know, my handwriting isn't perfect because my handwriting has been dreadful all my life. Mm. I'm like a lesser per- person for not being that perfectionist that I could see in so many of my contemporaries. Mm. My house is clean. It's mostly tidy, but it's very eclectic. So it's the opposite of minimalist white. And I've got paintings and ornaments and colour absolutely everywhere, which kind of like typifies my brain. Mm. I used to beat myself, why can't I have this like tidy minimalist home like other people that have got just like beautiful just gray and white and but now I understand myself better and I understand this is just another way of the ADHD coming out it's your creative self-expression and you we're all spending so much time at home now why wouldn't you want to surround yourself by all these objects that as Marie Kondo says bring you joy but do you, do you find that you have to carve out a space for your productive time when you're working on the podcast, working on your business that isn't a part of all of the chaos of the rest of the house? Like, do you have a, a home office or, yeah, because that's something I've learned. I have to carve out a designated space. When I go in this room and close the door, I've literally gone to the work. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not thinking about eating or reading or calling somebody. It's like, no, I'm at work now. Yeah. hundred mm. percent. I think this is a really important conversation for so many women because we do see ADHD quite regularly with boys. And because it looks different to, to girls and it looks different to women, I do feel there might be a lost generation of women out there who have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression who have had low self-esteem, low confidence. They've been overwhelmed. They've not been able to cope as well as other people. And it makes me very sad. And even though my journey hasn't been easy at all, like you said, I do feel like I had certain things in place that have helped me. Yes. A husband, I've been in a 
fortunate financial position where I've been able to afford a cleaner that has helped me organise a house. I've had parents that live around the corner from me, so they've been able to mm. help there. Things have fallen into place for me. I'm not saying, again, it's been easy, but I see other people who, who really have struggled with lots of different areas and it hasn't been as easy for them. And And I hope that maybe this conversation does give them a bit more clarity and offers them somewhere to go, whether they want a diagnosis, whether they need help, you know, coaching. Tell me how you help women in your coaching now with women that come to you and go, okay, I think I've got ADHD or I've had the diagnosis. Where do you take them? Well, for free resources, I have a weekly blog and the weekly podcast, The Driven Woman. And I have several freebies on my website. There's a six steps to ADHD mastery. There's a quiz on what is your ADHD signature strength. And there's also the Driven Woman Roadmap, Fast Track to Success. My focus is really on one thing, and that is the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Women who have ambition and drive and motivation, but they just don't seem to be able to get there. That's really my jam. There are a lot of other, there are a lot of therapists who work with ADHD. Sadly, the majority of therapists, however well-meaning and competent they are, are not capable of identifying ADHD in a previously unidentified adult woman. There is still a huge deficit in the skill set. And part of that is nobody's fault. It's the DSM diagnostic criteria for ADHD was written for young boys. So I absolutely think there's a gender bias. I absolutely think there is a gap. We did finally in the year 2000 update the diagnostic manual so that it now identifies that ADHD does continue on into adulthood, but the gender um, difference that has not yet been addressed. So I don't, I do teach productivity skills. I teach organizational skills. I teach time management, getting things done. But I would say the things that I really excel at, and a lot of this has to do with my 25 year psychotherapy career before becoming a coach is where I can help a woman make the most significant difference is what she makes it mean that her brain is different. What I want to get across to her is she is not broken and she is not alone. Different is not disordered, defective, deficient, or any other D word. It's simply different. So I encourage my clients to embrace a new identity, to actually lean all the way into who they are, discover their ADHD strengths, We manage the struggles, but we leverage the strengths. And that completely changes the way she thinks about herself so that she can create an ADHD-friendly life. Now, if she has a business or is moving into being self-employed, I help her create an ADHD-friendly business as well because we need to do things differently. I have been working one-on-one with women for the last few years, and I continue to do that. But in 2021, I'm also going to be developing group programs and perhaps a membership, which will allow women to not only work with me, but get to know other women like themselves. And of course, it's a a more affordable price point as well. So the best way to connect with me is to get on my email list uh, by going to my website at dianewingertcoaching.com and get one of the freebies. It'll put you on my email list. You will hear from me twice a week. You'll get my podcast, my blog, and you'll be the first to know of any new programs uh, that come down the pipe, um, including the group programs I just mentioned. And you should listen to my podcast for sure. Yeah, you should definitely listen to your podcast. I've been on your website. It's incredibly helpful. Your resources are fantastic. I think you as a person, I could chat to you the whole time. Um, I've got so many more questions for you, but maybe we'll do another one another time. I'd love to. I just want to thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability, because it's an important conversation to have. And especially, you know, what you said before is about the gender bias and how women are probably just walking around undiagnosed, no idea because they're looking back at you know, young young children, young boys. So I think that's very, very important. And I will have all your details on the show notes. 
and make sure that all the, the links and everything are up there. So thank you so much for this. And thank you for helping me articulate myself a little bit better around this subject and giving me the confidence to talk about things because I am definitely on a journey through my work and through my coaching. I'm definitely helping more women now as well with ADHD. I feel very connected to these clients and Mm. I'm able to put myself almost in their shoes, but be able to stand back as well. So it's a learning process for me. I feel very honoured to be able to help them. And I think that what you said about helping women in business, especially mm-hmm. if um, if they have got ADHD, this is something that I have really worked very hard at and I do feel mm. do struggle with it. And I've learned recently that delegating has been my best friend. Beforehand, I was trying to be the social media manager, I was trying to marketing, PA, this, that. So now I do have help and I have wing women and we, have, we share and we help. But I, there's no way I could do this on my own. Absolutely not. So I think the fact that you're coming in and actually helping someone with our brains craft, you know, a, a business and, and a manageable way of working so they can make money, they don't feel like they're, they're lesser people, I think is really, really great. So thank you. And I'm going to be talking to you all about that because that's something I'm... Yay! <laughs> and you are bringing up a really good point, which is one of the key things I do help my clients do is let go of the notion that you should be able to do it all yourself. No, you shouldn't. You need to learn to delegate and outsource. It's, well, I don't have to tell you, total game changer. So thank you for having me. It's a delightful conversation and welcome to the club. (laughs) Thank you, Diane. I'll speak to you soon. So that's this week's episode done. I really hope you've enjoyed it and it's helped you in some small way. I listen to loads of podcasts and I've learned so much along my journey and now know I'm a real auditory learner. And if you're the same and you're often inspired by listening to thought-provoking conversations, please don't underestimate the power in sharing it to ensure other people can also be inspired. Not only does this help your friends, but it also lets the host know how beneficial the episode has been to them. It's such a quick thing to recommend a podcast on your social media, but it means the world to us and helps more like-minded people join in the conversation. So simply screenshot your phone and share the image of this podcast by text or on your social media to someone you think who needs to hear it. And the power of a recommendation really does work and creates a ripple effect for all those involved. Also, I've got a Facebook group called the Ambitious Mums Wellbeing and Lifestyle Chat. And my aim is to create a safe space to discuss any of the topics that have been mentioned in the episodes moving forwards. I'd really love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening and see you back here for the next episode.